0: Hello, I'm delighted you've joined us here on Search for Truth. It's great to have your company. Today, Brian, our Bible teacher, continues your series of talks called Jesus as Son over God's House, which is about the present and unique relationship the Lord Jesus Christ can have with his disciples in the world today. As usual there's a transcript booklet to go with the series and if you like one I'll be giving you contact details at the end of the program. So have a pen and paper ready. Uh, Now here's Brian with today's talk on the subject of Jesus as son over God's house and it's called The Royal Son of David's Dynasty.
1: Hello John, thanks. I've got a question for you. No, I'll ask it of the listeners instead. Any idea which bit of the Old Testament is quoted most often in the New? I'm sorry, there are no prizes for guessing, which is probably just as well as I might have had to give away too many, since it's fairly well known that Psalm 110 is the answer. Yes, Psalm 110 is that part of the Old Testament which is quoted most often in the New. And one of the places where it features, and features importantly, is in the Bible letter which we are studying in this set of programmes, which of course, let me remind you, is the letter to the Hebrews. And it's Hebrews alone which explains why Psalm 110 is in the Bible. Because its inclusion in the book of Psalms, not to mention in the canon of scripture, must have been something of a puzzle to the Jews. After all, why would this psalm choose to introduce a future priest who belonged to the different priestly order of Melchizedek? After all, the priestly order of Aaron had long been established by Moses, with God's own authority of course, and this was even something that was such an integral part of the law. So how could this be changed? How could there be a different kind of priest in the future? And how could a priest sit on any throne? Far less on God's throne. Well, as we've said, it's in the letter to the Hebrews that this puzzle is solved. And we get the answer. And it's certainly worth waiting for. You see, the very first chapter of Hebrews ends with a verbatim quote from Psalm 110. That's in verse 13 we find that. But even way before that, in verse 3, we're probably meant to see another allusion to it. Verse 3 is the verse that talks about the making of purification of sins. And then, even more tellingly, it talks about someone sitting down at God's right-hand side. The use of this expression leaves little room for doubt that Psalm 110 is very much in the author's mind, even at this early point. Yes, an important part of of the Bible background to Hebrews is Psalm 110. And that psalm introduces us to the fact that there's a man seated at God's right hand side. It's a short psalm. So let's read it together now. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the Jew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. In other words, we learn that the Lord God spoke through David to his Lord Messiah, addressing the latter, as one might speak, to both a royal son of David's lineage and to a great priest of Melchizedek's order. As the Lord Jesus himself pointed out from this psalm to the Jews of his own generation, David acknowledges that God is speaking through him and addressing someone who is both his, that is David's son, and David's Lord. And the person being addressed is addressed as both king and priest. For you see, this short psalm, Psalm 110, is really made up of two oracles, that is, it's in two parts which each reveal something of the nature of the coming Messiah. These two parts are introduced respectively by the wording the Lord says and the Lord has sworn. The first addresses the Messiah as a royal son of David's lineage and the second addresses him equally as a great priest of Melchizedek's order. These two wonderful descriptions of the coming Messiah are expounded in the psalm and then we later find them resounding again and again when they are quoted in Hebrews, just like a bell that's repeatedly being sounded. We find them as it were resounding in the words you are my son and you are a priest. It's only the first of these, the expression you are my son, that I want to talk about today. But it's hard to avoid trying to imagine the thrill of the father as we read the letter to the Hebrews. It's as if he keeps exclaiming these things to his son. But it's time we read two or three verses from near the beginning of Hebrews, perhaps breaking into verse 3. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, for to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. We've already said that the big message of Hebrews is this, that Jesus is better. For a start, he's better than the angels. we have even given a couple of reasons why here. There are reasons stated either side of verse 4, to support the fact of the Lord's supremacy over the angels. Did you notice them? Actually, both relate to the Lord as being the God-man, but we'll come to that. The one that went before was the one about his purification of our sins. No angel has done that or could do that. And the reason that came after was the one about the Lord belonging to the line of David. Again, something that couldn't be true of any angel. Perhaps you didn't think of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 as being about how Jesus was a son of King David. Isn't it rather talking about Jesus being God's son? Isn't that how he's shown to be better than the angels? Because he's God's son. Well, wait a moment. In order to bridge the gap between these ancient texts, which are quoted in Hebrews 1 verse 5, drawn initially from the book of Psalms and the first book of Samuel, In order to bridge the gap between these texts and the point where we find ourselves now in history, I want to explain the royal connotation or the royal sense which the term my son has as we find it in Psalm 2 and verse 7. That's where the first quote in Hebrews 1 verse 5 comes from. It comes from Psalm 2 verse 7 where the speaker who's the newly installed king says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. I agree that as we tend to read that, our thoughts immediately turn to Jesus. For a start, we know these words are applied by the New Testament writers to Jesus. For example, by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. But the place to start in all Bible exposition is to start with our understanding of what the original hearers would have or should have understood by it in the very first place. So let's do that. Sam 2 appears to have been a coronation psalm. Or at least it was used to recall and reaffirm the enthronement of the king in Jerusalem at some point in history when surrounding nations were flexing their muscles and wanting to rebel from being under Judean sovereignty. Before Solomon's coronation, you'll remember, God had promised David concerning his son, and this is Second Samuel chapter 7 now, verse 14, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, your throne shall be established for ever. As this text made very clear, specifically in the case of Solomon, the king of the line of David was viewed as God's adopted son, viewed as the one charged with the same duty as God, namely administering God's rule over God's people. But this would not only be true of Solomon, because there's talk of David's throne being established forever. Other successive descendants of David, down to the Messiah himself, would be used to fulfill this. So we see that in general, the great king in heavenly Zion, that's God himself, and the king of David's line in Jerusalem were viewed in such scriptures as existing in a father-son relationship. So going back to Psalm 2, we shouldn't overload it with mysticism. The today, it mentions, is the coronation day of a new king in David's dynasty. Someone had recently ascended to the throne in Jerusalem and the surrounding vassal states were taking the opportunity to signal that they were unhappy with imperialistic Judean rule in his hands. Of course, the greatest application of this text is is indeed in its application to the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. The first church of God in Jerusalem could see that its message was very meaningful in understanding what had taken place at the cross. Our Lord was born as a royal son of David's line, and in that, as in the fact that he went to the cross and established the basis for all purification of sins, We have two stated reasons why he is better than any angel. And each of these two reasons involve the wonder of his becoming flesh, so that it could truly be said of him that he is the son over God's earthly house. The house, which as we shall see, is made up of his human companions.
0: If you have any comments or questions about today's talk, Brian will be pleased to help. Or if you'd like to send for the transcript booklet which goes with this series, please ask for the title, Jesus as Son over God's House. There are also other titles which you might like to download, back issues of the booklet, via the internet or order through Amazon, and I'll tell you how to do this in a moment. First, here's our postal and email address, Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester. Le five six LN United Kingdom. And now here's our email address it's SFT at churches info. That's SFT at churches info. Now, as I've said, you can download audio versions of some past programs on your computer. Go to www.searchfortruth. Dot org dot UK. This is our church website where you can also find uh, some other helpful material too. So, some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon. Uh, go to amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks and type in Search for Truth series in the search box, and you'll find a growing list of transcript booklets from previous programs is becoming available. So it's been a privilege to enjoy your company today. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll join us next week if you can. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian and from David and our singers and me, John. Goodbye and may God richly bless you.